Welcome to Removing Addiction and Healing Mental Health. In this new weekly podcast series, you will hear from healers and experts in removing addiction and improving overall mental health. Now here's your host, MC Counseling's Mike Carroll. Today, I'm joined with Jess, who's overcome addiction to drugs and gambling. She's come out, she's been incarcerated, and she's one beautiful soul. But don't let me be the judge for that. You could be the judge. An advocate for people to speak out and ask for help. And she does this herself by talking on podcasts, also on Facebook Lives, TikTok Lives, and on social media. Now, I first came across Jess and her page, or was it you making contact with me, Jess? I think it was you. Yeah, it was me. I found you on Instagram. Oh, thank you so much. Jess, welcome along to the program, Removing Addiction and Healing Mental Health. You have got an amazing story. Where should we start with your story? Oh, geez. (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Well, I guess growing up in Western Sydney would be a start. Yeah, so tell me about that. Oh, I grew up in a small suburb in Western Sydney. Yep. I grew up there my whole entire life. I went to an all-girls school out there. Yep. I went to Catholic schools my whole life. Um, it was an interesting time, high school, for me. Um, you know, I didn't particularly fit in. I only had a small group of friends at school. Mm. Um, but outside of school, I had a lot of different groups of friends from work to um, the gay scene, to um, people from other groups. So every weekend I'd have something different going on. It was a very chameleon-like life. And, like, that's awesome because when we – like when you go through Catholic schools, it's like there's a certain level that that you work with, and that's it. You know, that's who, all you communicate with. Your worldview seems like it was well constructed while you were still very young. Would I be right in saying that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I had also you know fourteen, fifteen. I was hanging out with eighteen, twenty year olds um, from all different backgrounds of life. You know, um, at sixteen, I no, I think I was younger. Fifteen, yeah. I was hooking up with the only Arab boy in Penrith and, you know, he was, his background was Islamic and, you know, I always had this draw to the Lebanese community and um, that started at a really young age as well. Wow. That's amazing. And so when was it that you discovered drugs? Was it during this time? Um, I was quite young. I was 15 and um, started smoking pot with friends that, that lived out you know, in country rural areas of Western Sydney. And there was a lot of alcohol, smoking pot. Um, And then at 15, I also dated a pot dealer for, you know, a few months. And um, to me, it was normal though, you know, all my friends smoked pot, they all drank and, you know, but for me, I was different because I had that addictive personality. I couldn't get enough. I wouldn't stop. I'd drink until I blacked out. I was drinking until I was throwing up. I was, you know, when the pot ran out, I wanted to find more. Mm, so you basically, it, was, it sounds a little bit like me, that you became the expert in being able to use whatever you were using to the absolute nth degree until there was no more and you wanted more and more. And would, we, would I be right in saying that, like, you'd never really, like, you, you're always a person that's 
that could could just have more and more and it wouldn't it, it would still affect you but you could still keep communicating still keep talking um people maybe wouldn't have necessarily noticed that that, that was going on with you and and then you realized you had a problem or how, when was it that you realized that that it could be a, maybe a problem in your life um, absolutely. You're right. You know, I was always the good girl kind of thing, but I was always breaking the rules to my, my mum was the only one that seemed straight through me. She knew I was bad news. <laughs> um, you know, and that was, I had a pretty rocky relationship with my parents. They kicked right. me out at 16. Okay. So from 16 to 21, I actually changed my life. I, um, you know, I had really good influences in my life. My best friend's dad took me in. And he was an amazing influence on me and he taught me a lot and I got really good jobs. I worked in a finance company. I worked for government. I saved. I bought my first house. I was in a long-term relationship. So things were really good for a number of years. And then I got into real estate Mm. and that's kind of when things started going downhill. So this entire time, though, once I bought my house, I was still smoking pot. I was still drinking um, one thing I never touched was pills right? because I was so scared. I yeah. read a book when I was in year 10 about <laughs> a young girl that died and I was like, yeah, I'm not touching that. So I had awareness around stuff. So I self-educated myself and, you know, I also dated a heroin addict when I was 17. Wow. So she was 28 and mm. it's, a, it's a pretty crazy time. So there was a lot going on. And even though I was doing well, I was also doing this bad stuff. So I was working in government position, but at the same time, no, at that time I wasn't, sorry, I was working at Steggles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was working at a chicken place yeah. and, um, but I was doing really well. I had the two jobs. I was saving. I was still living with my best friend's dad, but I was dating a heroin addict who was taking me to the methadone clinic and taking me to Cabramatta and Canleyvale in Sydney. And, wow. Um, you know, live, and I was going in there in a suit, mind you, like, you know, mm. dressed up really nicely and there's you know, people getting their methadone. It was quite, quite intense for a 17, 18-year-old. And not long after I t- turned 18, we broke up and, you know, I met someone else. And mm. so I've always been really codependent as well on mm. women, mm. Um, extremely codependent on them. And that's due to my relationship with my mom. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, so there's a lot of self-awareness, which I've gotten, but um, I didn't pick up ice until I was 22, 23. Well, that's a long time from like the 15 year old that was smoking pot to 22. That's, that, that's huge. That's a massive gap. Yeah, massive gap. So I did really well. And, you know, that's why I say addiction doesn't discriminate because, you know, to the outside world, I should have had a really good life. You know, I was on the verge of possibly opening my own real estate agency at 23 with a um, buyer I'd been working with for years. And Mm. so a lot was going on at that time, but I was introduced to ICE by a good friend and, you know, I also lost my job due to my pot addiction and I still didn't think that was an addiction. I still thought I had a handle on this pot addiction. You know, we would be scraping up dollar coins to get a stick and Mm -hmm. trying to pay a mortgage as well and like all this stuff. But I still thought I had my shit together. It wasn't until I picked up ice and by the time I was 24 and in trouble with the law Mm. that I had a dealer say to me, you need to go to rehab. 
my dealer was sitting in my lounge room crying and telling me about a rehab called William Booth House and how he had done it and how he'd found a higher power and you know all, and I'm going you're insane like yeah. I don't need rehab like two weeks later I was at my parents house on my knees begging for help mm. so it was by the time I was 24 pretty much that I knew that I was pretty much there was something wrong but at the age of 24 that's huge because of the life that you'd led before that the the world experiences you've had of, of still just being in or not just being in Sydney but being in Sydney but the different nationalities that you hung out with the experiences that you had that's more than some people have in their whole lifetime oh yeah and that's just that's just surface level stuff you know um, yeah, yeah. this is just very surface level stuff you know there was a lot of domestic violence right. um in my relationship so i spent my entire using um with women and this was from 16 so from my very first girlfriend at 16 i was involved somehow with the drug scene okay yeah, yeah. um you know 16 17 19 22 23 every part main partner i had in my life um went from speed to heroin to pot back to speed to ice you know yeah. um it was very much the people i chose to hang around mm-hmm. um you know all my partners have been of middle eastern backgrounds wow um yes. and you know I, it's like i choose these strong dominant women and, you know, I love everything about them because I didn't have that in my own mum. Mm. And, you know, I was very driven by the relationships and um, they were really toxic. And a lot of that came from me, from my insecurities. Mm-hmm. And those insecurities, were they um, made unsecure or less insecure with having those relationships or did they make them worse now that you look back? Looking back, one made it way worse mm. and one was amazing and tried so hard to make me feel secure and loved and cared mm. for. Um, she was the person I um, started using with first. Right. Um, you know, I sold my house and me and her moved to Queensland. And during the time of living in Queensland, I met another girl back here in Sydney. Right. And, yeah, somehow we managed to all hang out together at certain times and they kind of knew that I was going in between them for the entire time we were using. So for about five years, I was going back and forth between them um, because, you know, one would make me feel really insecure and like we weren't together and that she never had my back. So I'd always go to the other one, mm. you know, trying to get that security and love, but I was so angry and so full of rage that I'd end up taking it all out on her. What comes across is that your mum wasn't the strong person that you needed as somebody as a role model for you. And then you worked out in your own minds and with the experiences that you had, maybe not just with the women that you were with, but with also with yourself and with the people you were hanging around. And as a result of that, you're able to find out exactly what you wanted and then you're able to manipulate it to make it work for you at the time when you were high. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I was the queen of manipulating them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was unbelievably, unbelievably manipulative. And, 
you know, I look back on it and I feel so horrible sometimes. And then I think, you know, I've come a long way from that and I would never, ever do that to another person ever again. And it's once you put drugs in my system, mm. I am a completely another person. Mm. You would, you'd be like, I don't know this person. I don't even look over my briefs. Um, I tried to one, I think maybe a year out of rehab, I tried reading over my briefs and I said to my mom, I can't read this because I don't even know who that person is. Whoa. And you saying that to your mom, how did she respond? And she agreed with me. She, mm. you know, there was certain times that, you know, mom seen me in psychosis and, um, you know, unfortunately my mom had to see me used for the very last time, um, it was the 19th of April, 2016. Wow. And for a mother to have to walk in and see what she's seen, it would have most probably been one of the most horrific times for her. And um, I asked her about that recently, how it made her feel. And she said, as a mother, I knew that the only way I was going to get you to court that day was just agree to everything you said because you were just totally out of it and I was so scared for you. Mm. And she goes, you don't even remember what you did at the house before we got, because she took me back to Mount Joy, which mm. is where I had been living. Yep. And I don't, to this day, I have no idea. It's all a blur. I, you know, there's many moments in that five-year period that I just can't remember. And to a lot of people, I'll go, oh, but I used for 10 years, I used for this long, blah, blah. For me, five years was enough. Mm. I was mm. done and dusted. I knew if I didn't get out, I was going to die. It sounds like you really knew what you wanted in life and what came about was different people throughout your life, but from an early age, you didn't have that mother who was strong that you wanted and, you, as I said earlier, you, you got that in your relationships that you had and because you were so young and obviously still, you know, developing. We're still teenagers at 15, obviously. And then coming forward, it's like five years using heavily was enough because you'd already had that experience to discover what you wanted. Whereas, you know, people use, as we know, for many different reasons, but a big reason is because they don't feel enough. And, and when somebody doesn't feel enough, they do lots of things and they'll do them for years and years and years. But you could finish in five years of using and then not do anything but help people to become better people by connecting with so many people that you do by doing what you do now. And the interesting thing is we haven't come to gambling, but would you mind going and talking to us a little bit about gambling and, and gaming for us, please? Yeah, um, well, the gambling was a big part of my using yeah. because we were homeless for a lot of the times and, um, you know, a VIP gaming room in Sydney, some of them are open till 4am and 6am yep. and some are opening at 6am. Mm. So instead of, and this is a crazy thing, right? Yeah. We were doing a lot of fraud and we're doing a lot of shit and I've been charged for all this. I've served my time for it. Mm -hmm. Um you know, we were just doing really crazy shit. It was like sink or swim. We had no food. We had no food roof over our heads. So we're just trying to make, meet our basic needs. Mm -hmm. But our basic needs, for some reason, were not being met because we would then crazily go put, you know, three grand into mm -hmm. a poker machine. Yeah, yeah. 
Like one night I made six grand, gave the security guard two grand and then went to the next pub and put it all back in. Mm, yeah. You know, I could have, I have had contacts in real estate. I could have gotten us a unit and not, mm. we just kept feeding the poker machines for some reason. And, you, you know, at first it was a shelter thing, you know, having a roof over our head, but then you get a win and then you're like, oh, I'll just stay a little bit longer. You know, and yep. it's the insanity of it. You just keep repeating the same thing, expecting a different result, and there is no different result. You're going to lose every single <laughs> cent that you put in, no matter what. And we went on like that in one of my relapses because it didn't really spike until my second relapse. Right. And that's when we were really homeless for a long time and on the streets of Bankstown. Um, you know, we kept getting linked to home or getting um, housing would put us in a hotel and then things started to get a bit hot over there and cops were, <laughs> cops were hassling us a little bit. So, you know, then we had to move out to Mount Druitt and then we're in Parramatta. Yep. But majority of that time we were on the streets and, you know, even when we did have a place to stay, we'd end up at the pubs mm -hmm. and it, it was groups of us like it would never just be me on my own like it'd always be me and my partner or me and the boys that you know and it was that peer thing you know you'd get a win and then you'd be like oh yeah and then you'd up your bet too you'd go for <laughs> two dollar fifty bets to you know max bets mm -hmm. the insanity well no that's not insanity the insanity is because I, I talk about gaming because I, I was a big gambler on the pokies and i would leave work and i did a midnight to dawn shift on the radio take the whole pay and go into the piermont bridge hotel in sydney and put it all through and then look, go I can't even afford a sausage roll and I'm hungry and obviously I've been drinking as well and this is now midday and I've got to be back on the radio in, in, in 12 hours' time. So I was la smiling and giggling a bit when you were telling that, not because I thought it was funny but because I could so relate to that. And yeah. it was like in those times of putting three grand in, it, it, you basically could have walked out with about six, but it wasn't about that then. It was about that adrenaline rush and that, and that like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And it's like, but it doesn't matter. I'm always going to walk out, as you said before, with nothing. So what am I doing here? What, what, what's going on? And, and like, it's, 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 it's like there's obviously a few more rules and, and regulations in relation to gaming these days. You can't smoke inside, obviously. Which you know? Oh no, you can here in Sydney. You can in Sydney. Oh, in Victoria. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't. Uh, made it so it's indoors, but the roof is open only in one section of the venue, right. like of the VIP. So you've got the room, yeah, and maybe about um, two meters of the roof is open. Okay. So it's classed as an open space. <laughs> that is crazy because I had to stop and to go and have a smoke, and then that would be the time that'd be like, actually. You've gone through this amount. You know, this is ridiculous. And that was obviously on top of the drugs and stuff as well, which I've talked about in, in another podcast. But it's it's just interesting to hear similarities and, and, and like why we were doing things. And to, to know probably even at the time that, as you said, you could have got a, a place with some of your real estate friends in terms of paying the bond and being able to, to get in there. But we do things because we're not happy with ourselves, we're not happy with our lives, even though, as you've said at the beginning, that you came from a middle-class background, you were at the, you know, the Catholic schools, you, there wasn't any issues in regards to that. But it doesn't matter where or where or what we come from, really, does it? And as your page, Addiction Doesn't Discriminate, on, on Instagram, and is that the same on Facebook as well? 
Yeah, it's the same on Facebook as well, yeah. And you're on TikTok as well? Yeah, I'm on TikTok, but I'm changing the name soon, so. Okay. Well, well, yeah, anyway, at the ch- moment it's Addiction to Recovery 2016. I don't know why I named it that so long, but, um, yeah, I'm changing it on the 22nd. You know, some people don't even realise that they have a problem or they realise they have a problem and they don't know where to go for help. And, um, you know, as you say a lot about counselling not being for free and I believe mental health should be looked at at just as easy as going to your local GP. Mm. Um, It should be just as easy to go to a counsellor. And, you know, I've faced these problems over the last five years um, of not being able to find a psychiatrist or a psychologist um, or even a counsellor. You know, I'm a single person. I have my own place. I can't afford $500 to go see a psychologist. And I hope that someone sees what I'm trying to do and realises that, you know, this kind of help needs to be more accessible so more people like me get a chance. And we do want to change the world and we can. It's by person by person. It's by everybody listening here and it's it's by subscribing to this podcast and it's by reaching out to somebody that you listen to, that you feel that you resonate with or just by hearing someone's story, like hearing Jess's story today and being able to say, hey, that was me or I can relate to that or I've got a friend that can relate to that because it's by sharing stories that we can get the message out. Um, We want to really help change the world. We've talked also before we got on to record this, Jess, in regards to uh, the community and regards to Australia, in regards to the rest of the world or America and the UK especially, we're very behind with mental health and we need to change that stigma. I just hope in some way, like you said, that someone resonates, it resonates with someone and, um, you know, if we help one person, then it's all worth it. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Jess's details are down the bottom there. Please follow her on all the socials. She's an amazing woman and I'm so glad to have met you and I can't wait to, instead of looking at you on Zoom, because we have recorded this so we can see each other, so it's a bit more personal, um, that we can meet um, when the hopefully probably the borders have opened up by then and, and the interstate so we can see each other and, and meet for a coffee. That would be a lot of fun. Jess, thanks so much for your time on removing addiction and improving mental health. Thanks for having me. There are many ways to remove addiction from your life. It is in our hope that we have opened your mind to see another way to live your best life. Join Mike Carroll next week for another episode.